This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled, Aim Higher. This is the second message in the series, Unlearning Religion. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So glad you're with us today across all the campuses and online. Let's jump in. I have found this to be true. That when you battle something long enough, it can beat you into settling. Come on now, think about that. If you battle something long enough, you try and get through it or over it, around it, you try and rise above But after a while, you get so tired, after a while, it kind of beats you down. And it can beat you into settling. Into what? Settling. Let me me just take a moment, draw it out, see if I can make sense of of what I'm talking about here. We we, we drew out this kind of high jump imagery uh, last weekend and said there's this bar of righteousness. And, And when you battle something long enough and you can't get above it, There is a tendency to just settle. And what happens then is that you you settle really below God's bar. Or or maybe I could say it another way. When you settle, you're just like, okay, I'm not going to do any better. You, You end up settling below God's blessing. And that is familiar to life. I don't want you to raise your hand. I'm going to raise mine though. Have you ever got stuck in marriage? I'm saying yes. I I don't know how you could be married and not have seasons when you get stuck. So we were married about 10 years and we got stuck. Marsha was uh, discontent with only having two children. I was quite content. And that's only funny if it's not your situation. We, We couldn't get on the same page. And I'm like, we're done. And she's like, well, we can't be. I'm like, well, God told me. She says, well, God told me. (laughs) And this thing went ugly for three years. We couldn't get together. And after three years of just battling this and and really just being off, I finally, I I I remember when I said in my soul, forget it, fine. I'm just, you know, I'm going to settle for an unhappy unfulfilling marriage period that's it that's the marriage I got and I'm I'll, I'll just pretend on Sundays that our marriage is doing better than it is because I'm a pastor and I have to live a public life but this is ridiculous and I'm just gonna settle and what is God doing when we settle what was God doing in my spirit what was God whispering God was whispering aim higher say it with me everybody God was was whispering what In fact, write that down. I want you to take your teaching notes and put aim higher and really bold at the top. As if this has become now the new title for today's teaching. Say it with me again. What is it? Aim higher. And God was whispering, don't settle for an unhappy, unfulfilling marriage that you're just going to endure. Aim higher. And uh, so we pressed into counseling and we met with the counselor and... Um, man, that, that didn't go well because the counselor started uh, 
chipping away at things in my life and leadership where I was settling below the bar. And that just ticks me off. See, that's my job with other people. That's what I do. My job is to help, you know, kind of chip away at where you're living under the bar. Not me. Don't mess with it. I know exactly what he was doing. He was ticking me off because he was good at it. He was like, you know, you know. And I'm like, well, just shut up. And at some point, and I know it's very disappointing, but at some point, I mean, I literally cussed at the, I'm just like, and I called him something, and I just, done with you. But in that, um, you know, God revealed some things. Like that my favorite word for marriage, my most dominant word for marriage was submit. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, let me just say, speak for a moment. Husbands, if that's your favorite word on marriage, then I know you don't know what it means. <laughs> because you use it as a word of enslavement, and it's a word of endearment, and it's voluntary. And, and the Holy Spirit was teaching me in that season, I never told a husband to tell his wife submit. In fact, you don't even know what the word means. So don't even use it. And people resist it because like, oh, that's old. If you knew what it meant, you'd love it. Because submit as the church submits to Christ. So, but he said, but, but the only thing I taught husbands, Kevin, and the words that now have to be the most dominant words for you when it comes to marriage, your new favorite word, Christ said, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So, so your new words, Kevin, are serve and, and, and sacrifice. And he like yellow highlighted servant sacrifice. That's your new favorite words in your marriage. Did you ever like want to get a black highlighter after God leads and just kind of, you're like, nah, I don't want that. I don't, I don't like that. I, I don't need that. And, and God was transforming us to say get above the bar. And, and that was really quite a growth season for us in our marriage. And the joy and the freedom on the other side of it is really the marriage we long for. Because you know what? The marriage you want is above the bar where God can bless. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever hit a time when, when like you were stuck in your character? I'm like, yeah, me. I had high access to pornography when I was a teenager. And of course, now we all have access to it. It's at our fingertips on the internet. And in the midst of that, the Spirit of God is saying, aim higher. Because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the lives that are fulfilled. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins blessed. You want a blessed life? Then hunger and thirst for righteousness. The thing that God has established that is right. And, and as a result of that, your life will be transformed like no other life on earth. Tried to settle. <sighs> Am I going to aim higher? And break into accountability relationships and live in that for, for the rest of my life with other brothers. Where I have no secrets. Where I have what? No secrets. Because listen, I discovered you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. I'm telling you right now, whatever secrets you are holding in your life are the future downfall. And it's coming. And the breakthrough and the joy and the freedom that comes with aim higher. Anybody ever get stuck in their career? I mean, my hand's up, yeah. 
The 12 stone was growing and reaching people uh, several years, many years back. And, and yet um, we hit about 800 to 1,000 and we cycled and cycled and cycled and cycled. And it's not about the number, it's about people. But it didn't matter how many people kept coming, we couldn't cumulatively get beyond 800 to 1,000. Just driving me nuts. And God, we're here to transform lives. How come it's not working? I finally grabbed a little group of staff together and, and, and stood in the room and said, okay, what is wrong with us? And, and I put number one on the board, somebody tell me what's wrong with us and Somebody said, well, could it be this? And I wrote it down. What else? And somebody raised their hand. Number two, good. What else? Number three. And somebody raised their hand. What if we just suck? (laughs) So I wrote, we suck. And every once in a while, all I would do is put up a number three for the years that follow. And be like, yeah, we suck right now. But we had to reinvent and learn leadership and transform from the inside out because, because what you do in career needs new seasons if you're going to aim higher. And I think God often whispers, aim higher. You ever get stuck in your health? My hand goes up. In my late 30s, by the end of my 30s, I was uh, hit, hit 205 pounds. And on a barely 5 foot 8 frame, that doesn't settle well. That was 45 pounds above my college weight. Now the problem is, um, I hate working out and I love to eat. I don't know what your gift blend is, but that's mine. <laughs> and, and, and I know some people, some people like, well, I eat when I'm happy and some I eat when I'm sad. See, I got both. I'm both ends. I, I don't, I, I love, food is an awesome thing. And, and so I mostly manage with food. And so, it's so, so so if, if the family's getting together and there's party time, eat. If I'm alone, eat. If I'm watching TV, eat. If football's on, eat. I'm just, it eats awesome. I, I, I don't eat to live, I live to eat. So I got this thing going on and, and, and I'm like, well, I'm just gonna settle and be unfit and happy. <laughs> and God's like, aim higher. And I remember the battle of losing the next 35 pounds and how I try and keep my weight at where I am at that 170 mark or under and oh, Man, I cycle in that, and I I have seasons when I just want to quit and settle. And God says, aim higher. And you're thinking, what on earth does this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, for heaven's sakes, why are we even in this conversation? What does this have to do with judge not? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because Jesus could have ended verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 7. And said, don't judge, don't have a self-righteous, critical spirit toward others and be all done with the conversation. Could have. But he didn't. See, what Jesus did is he said, now, where we left off last week, now that we're no longer judging each other, See, now that no longer are we looking at each other's life and judging and critical spirit and self-righteous, and let me show you what's wrong with you. Now that we're not doing that with each other's life, he didn't leave it alone. He said, now aim higher. Now what? The next thing he taught in verse 3 is aim higher personally and help each other aim higher. We are here as a church to aim higher, to get above the bar, to get inside the arena of God's blessing. Everybody wants a marriage above the bar where God can bless. Everybody wants their character above the bar. You want to raise kids above the bar where God can bless. You want a health and a lifestyle above the bar. You want to be a part of a world above the bar. It's what you long for 
for. So in Matthew chapter 7, let's look at verses 3 to 5. Because he didn't just leave it as don't judge. He gave us inspiration to aim higher. Grab your Bibles. Your worship Bibles are just underneath your chair. Across the campuses you received one either on the way in. We're on page 971. Everybody turn in the Bible to page 971. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5, where we left off last week. In fact, while you're turning, let me just catch us up. Because Jesus was not offering in the Sermon on the Mount information alone. Listen, he wasn't just saying... I want to give you more information. What he was saying is, I want to take you to transformation. I, listen, I, gathering information is not deep. One of the, one of the tragedies and misnomers in the, in, in the church is that the more information you have, the deeper you are. That is not it. Information with trans, transformation, that's deep. If you know it, but you can't do it, you don't know it. Thank you. I'll give it to you again. If you know it, but you can't do it, you don't know it. Don't say, oh man, I'm just going deep. I'm gathering all kinds of information. I don't care if it hasn't transformed you and you don't live any different. It doesn't matter. In fact, Jesus was trying to help them unlearn religion so they could relearn how to love. They had to unlearn. They had to what? Unlearn religion. That's why he kept saying, you've heard it said. In other words, the Pharisees took the Old Testament law from Moses and the 613 laws, and they added all kinds of religious junk to it. And you're going to have to unlearn that so that you can actually learn how to love God, love others, and have a life above the bar that God can bless. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And then we left off with this picture, this imagery of this whole judging thing we got to get over. Remember, we talked about the high jump and that God established a height of holiness that's over our head. Nobody can reach it. You can't jump that. And, and so the Pharisees' response to this, if you remember, you'll have to go back to online and get the teaching. The Pharisees took it from the standard of God's righteousness and they kept adding mankind, man-made rules. And then they would stand by with these man-made rules that now became religion and they would judge everybody and they say, oh, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it. And Jesus says, look, they're hypocrites, don't listen to them because, because they're not clearing it themselves. They're just limboing under the bar themselves. You can't learn anything from them. Don't be critically spirited, self-righteous, holier than thou, condemners like them. That wasn't the only picture. We talked about the picture of the world. And what does the world do? The world says, I get the answer. Let's remove the bar. Let's do what? Remove the bar. Therefore, there's no bar. Now you can just run through. This is awesome. Now you are the author of what is morally right and wrong. Because there is no longer a standard of what is morally right or morally wrong. You are the author of your own truth. And man, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, you hear it and you're like, oh, I like that. Something in me likes that. It sounds good. It just doesn't live good. Look at our world. I mean, our, our, our country's broke. Relationships are broke. Marriages are broke. Breaking. Families are breaking down. I mean, we, it doesn't work. We need something better. And Jesus comes back along and Jesus says, uh, let, me, let me get back. Let me, let me just help you. I have established a standard, a bar of righteousness, of truth. And above that bar is a blessed life. But then Jesus didn't come here to condemn us. Jesus lifts us above the bar. Come on, you know that is good. He is so gracious that he lifts us above the bar. 
And what that means is that the church is not a group of self-righteous, condemning, critical-spirited people looking at the rest of the world, looking down on them. We're standing alongside here and we say, listen, we never made it over the bar ourselves. Jesus lifted us. So if you see anything good in us, it wasn't us. It's the righteousness of Christ in us. We're not doing this. God's doing this. Therefore, the church is not here to judge people. The church is here to introduce people to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's why the church is here. Listen, we are right here with you. What we say to the world is this. We're right here with you. We're sinners. We're messed up. We're incomplete, imperfect. But the grace of God is helping us get over the bar. And that's where God's blessing is. You want that kind of life. Now, Jesus could have left it right there, but he didn't. He goes on. So Matthew 7, where you have your Bibles open, page 971, we can go on with verse 3. In fact, I'll back it up and just read verse 1 and 2 with it. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck, here we go, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, now look what he says. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then, you will see clearly to what? Remove the speck from your brother's eye. Isn't it interesting? When he gets all done with this whole idea of judging and says don't judge, he now says aim higher. Don't, don't just fail to, ju- don't, don't just stop judging. Now judge yourself and spur one another on to live, aim higher. See, Jesus is painting a picture here. Jesus grew up as a carpenter. And he's very familiar with sawdust, putting up beams and planks. He's, he, he's gotten sawdust in his eye. Have any of you ever gotten something in your eye? I mean, hands up if you've ever gotten something in your eye. We all have, of course. So yeah, I, I grew up as, uh, my dad was a carpenter, so I grew up doing carpentry. I've framed just h- probably hundreds of homes over the years. And it did that work in the summer d- during college, et cetera, to make money. So I've multiple times have gotten sawdust in my eye. And here's the thing I figure out. When you get it in your eye, it consumes you. I mean, it undoes you. I mean, you, you get stuff in your eye and you, you can't see. And not only you, not only you cannot see, but, but you can't do any work. I mean, it shuts you down. Furthermore, you can't get it out. You need someone to help you. And then Jesus paints a ridiculous picture. Here's the ridiculous picture. He says, now, there's this guy who's got a plank in his eye. I know this looks stupid, but this is what he's saying. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you? Oh. Oh, look, I'm looking. Oh, I see a little speck in your eye. Let me get that for you. Let me get, I can see that. Oh, look at you. You're a mess. Look, come here. Let me get that little plank out of your eye. Can you imagine plank man running around? I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. See, y'all running around the church with planks in your eye, telling everybody else what's wrong with them. For heaven's sakes, don't do that. Get the, listen, get the plank out of your own eye. You, you can't help somebody else address what's broken their life unless you address the unrighteousness in your own life. Clean up your own life. And listen, don't just clean up your own life. 
the church is not all about you. As you address unrighteousness in your own life, then you love people enough to want to help them and lift them over the bar. Because the church is not about arrival. It's in flight. The church is not the place where we pretend we've all arrived. Nobody's complete. Nobody's done. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has everything all together anywhere in the church. This is the place where we are all in process. The, the message from verses 3 to 5, look on the screen. Drop this down in your teaching notes. Here's the message from verses 3 to 5. Religion about God is arrival. Religion about God is what? Arrival. Say it again. Religion about God is what? Arrival. You, you know what religion is? Religion is when you think you've arrived. A little bit of holier than thou. That's when the church becomes religious, when they all act like they've arrived. But a relationship with God is what? In flight. Say it with me. It's what? In flight. It means you're in process. You're still growing. You haven't arrived. Listen, the church is not the place where you show up because you got it all together. It's the place you go because you don't have it all together. This should be the safest place on earth to come grow up and recognize that you hadn't figured it all out. And, and we're not only responsible to be that person, we're responsible to build that church. If you're thinking, well, you know what? My marriage has settled and we're not above that bar of blessing. I can't go to church. No, no, now you have to. (laughs) The church has this reputation that you're supposed to show up perfect. Well, no wonder you're not coming. (laughs) Who could? If if this is the place for everybody who's arrived, y'all got to go home. (laughs) This is the safest place to grow your character. The safest place to admit you got something in your eye. The safest place to break through when you're broken down. Because we are not about arrival. That's religion. We're about being in flight, in process. My son Jake is 22 years old. Works in finance with Delta Airlines. And that means he gets free flights. He can fly anywhere for free. But here's the detail. He has to fly standby. There has to be an open seat and he's way down the list. So he can get bumped at any moment. He has a gal that he's dating and she's at a university in Indiana, up above Indianapolis. And while he's building that relationship, he wants to be with her as much as he can. So last weekend, he has free flights. He wanted to fly up to Indianapolis and spend some time with her. Good for you. So he got off a couple hours from work early and went to the 245 flight to Indianapolis. And he was almost going to make it, going to make it, and he got bumped. So they asked to sit there at the airport and wait again for the 5 o'clock flight. And he waited for the 5 o'clock flight and waited and waited and waited and got bumped and couldn't make it. Looked at all the others and like, I'm not going to make it. So he calls her up and says, this isn't going to work. I'm in trouble. I'm getting bum, bum, bum. They figure out that the flight he probably could get is one to Dayton, Ohio. So she gets in a car and drives two hours. He flies up to Dayton, Ohio. And then they have a two-hour uh, drive back to the school. I mean, this is ridiculous. What, uh, way too much work just to be together. And then they're together for Saturday and they're together for half a Sunday. And she's got to drive an hour and a 
have back to the airport for a six o'clock flight, which he got bumped off from by the one person. And they had to drive an hour and a half back to school. And then they had to get up at three o'clock in the morning and get the six o'clock flight because he had to be at Delta for work by 8.30 in the morning. So he got the six o'clock flight out of Indianapolis and then flew in, changed his clothes and showed up at work as if everything was normal. What a stupid nuts way to live this. Why did he do that? You know the answer, but I'm going to give it to you. I wrote it down. Ready? Ready? Because he's in flight with a relationship that has not arrived. Now, no, stay, stay with me. Don't, don't, don't check out. Because he's in flight with a relationship that has not arrived. Hang on. And when you have not arrived in a relationship, you do all you can to build it. When you have not arrived in a relationship, you do all you can to build it. Do you know the most dangerous things in relationships is when you have an attitude of arrival? You know the most dangerous thing is to get married and think you arrived and landed the relationship? because you quit taking flights to grow it. Come on. At any time in your marriage when you decide we've arrived, you're in trouble. Because you quit doing the things that nurture it, that grow it, that build it. It becomes stale, boring, Old and broken. And passivity takes over a relationship. The majority of us do not have the eyes to see that the attitude of arrival is what is undoing our marriage, our family, our relationships. Because any marriage or relationship needs to be in flight, always growing, always progressing always strengthening. Listen, it's not only dangerous in relationships. Hear me, it's dangerous in your career. When you have an attitude of arrival in your career, that is the beginning of the end of your career. You quit growing, striving, learning. Listen, listen, listen. 12 Stone, it's the most dangerous thing in this church. When a church gets an attitude of arrival, like, well, we've done what we needed to do, You'll start relaxing, quit reaching lost people, quit caring about others, start thinking the church is for you. It's dangerous in career, it's dangerous in church, it's dangerous in sports. True story, true story. I was in my 20s, 30s, loved playing racquetball, finally decided to join a league. <clears throat> and that was going to make it more challenging. But, but, but around 30, um, when I was in this league, I lost to an old guy who was like 40, and, and he was old and slow. <clears throat> and, and I lost to him, and so the sec, now, now it's the sec, next year, and now I'm playing him again, and, and I'm playing him, and this is going to be for like, for like winning the championship thing, and I, and, and I came in intense. I mean, I, my game is fast kill shot. His was slow and finesse. And I'm going to get him on my game. 
And, and I came in there so focused, so intense, that, at, that you had to win two out of three games. Each game was to 15. The first game, the score at the end of the first game was 15 to zero. I crushed him. High five your neighbor. I crushed him. It was spectacular. It was awesome. All right. Game two. I'd already had him 11 to 0. I was crushing him. And it was his turn to serve. 26 unanswered points. I walked to the back of the racquetball court and I did something interesting. I stood up, I stretched, and I congratulated myself for the win. I said, well done, Kevin, you just won. The score at the end of that game was 13-15, he won. He won the third game. He won the championship. One of the most humiliating days for me. An attitude of arrival is so dangerous. You don't realize how dangerous it is when you do it. Do you know what the, listen, do you know what the plank was in the eyes of the Pharisees? Do you know what the plank was? An attitude of arrival. That's what was undoing them. That's what undoes everybody. Look on the screen. I want, you to, I want you to read through. I want you to follow this story. Jesus told, we don't usually read a whole thing. I want you to read the whole thing. I want you to see it. Jesus told his next story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. <sighs> Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. Look at the revolutionary comment of Jesus. Then Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Listen, if you walk around haughty, as if you have arrived in your faith, religion, walk with God, you'll fall flat on your face. Because the spiritual journey is not about arrival, it's about being in flight. You are being made new in Christ. Listen, when you come to faith in Jesus, you are born again, you are transformed in the moment, but that's not the end, that's the beginning. It is a lifetime relationship with God where you are being transformed day by day as you walk with him. That's part of the reason God built the church. When Jesus established the church, the church took on the value that this is a place where we're being coached in our faith because we're being inspired to aim higher. To what? Aim higher because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's why we're here. So one every seven days. Listen, one in every seven days. We stop the activity of life and we gather together. And we connect in order to be coached. To aim higher and find the power of God. And, and get planks out of our eyes. And get above the bar so we can be in the arena of God's blessing. Because the life we really long for is above the bar. That's why we have a small group. Because we help each other get things that are in our eye. 
that can make us settle below the bar. Because nobody has arrived, we're all in process. I was talking with my son-in-law. He also has the name Kevin, great name. And uh, he does CrossFit. But, but anybody, does anybody do CrossFit? I just know that if you do CrossFit, you got that little boisterous, uh, self-righteous, I do what nobody else does and I'm amazing. I, it's okay, I'm just for a moment. Now you're not going to acknowledge. But anybody who does CrossFit, I just want to hear from you. Just like a yell, a, 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 I'm proud of myself. Okay, okay, good for you guys. Okay, now we're happy for you. Good. Now. Here's what we know about CrossFit people. They're radical. They're fanatical. They're like, and, and, and my son-in-law's in this, and he made a comment this week over lunch, and it caught my attention. He said, you know, when I'm serious about it, I show up four times a week. When I'm lazy, I show up once a week. He said, here's the curious thing. When I only show up once a week, I tell myself it's okay. I tell myself I'm not losing any muscle. I'm just as strong as I was. He said, I know it's a delusion, but it's what I tell myself <laughs> to make myself feel better about a lazy choice. That triggered in my head. I'm like, that's what's happening to us. The church is the God-ordained CrossFit gym for you to grow up in faith. This is how you grow up in marriage and in your parenting. This is how you grow up in your character and in your relationships. This is how you grow up and aim higher. And God says four times a month, you have got to shut down your life and engage because you're being coached into faith. And then we get that lazy thing like, well, it won't matter if I miss. It doesn't matter if I don't show. It doesn't matter if I don't engage. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then we pretend like everything's okay when the truth of the matter is we're getting sloppy and flabby in our marriage and in our character and our finances and our career and in all that God has called us to. And we don't even know that a attitude of arrival is unraveling the good that God was building. So we're here to help lift each other over the bar. That's one of the reasons we're doing the women's prayer gathering. Think of it as like CrossFit for women for prayer. <laughs> if you want to be a part of it Saturday. Now, there's a whole conversation we're not having that I don't have time for. Like, how do we actually help each other? Like, like, how do you help somebody get something out of their eye because they're living below the bar without being critical, judgmental, and condemning? How do you actually do that? Maybe when we hit week four of this series, where I do the town hall Q&A, you'll want to send that question in to 12stone.com slash ask. Maybe that's where you send it in, because I'm going to do a Q&A town hall for week four of this, and you can ask any questions you want and send them in. But it may be that you say, I don't know how we do this. In fact, maybe the church, listen, maybe the church has lost something here. Because it used to be the spirit of the church back in the day when it was built, that we would help each other aim higher and get above the bar and lift each other and encourage each other and be honest with each other. In Galatians chapter 6, the Holy Spirit wrote to us to say, if any of you is caught in sin, you got something in your eye, you need to get above the bar on, you, those who are spiritual should gently help one another. Do we even know how to do that anymore? How do you do that in a marriage? How do you do that in a family? How do you do it in friends? How do you do it in a small group? How do you help each other get above the bar? In fact, in Galatians 2, the apostle Paul addressed the apostle Peter and said, Peter, you slipped below the bar. I mean, can you imagine this, Peter? Like, Peter... Like for 19 years, he's been the lead of the church since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes after Peter and says, hey, you got something in your eye, buddy. Well, maybe you'll want to bring those questions into bear and we'll answer them during the Q&A. But what I can tell you for today is this. 
people, the people, hear me, the people who are the best at helping others get something out of their eye are the people who have taken planks out of their own eye. Because they're the most sensitive. They know the pain, the cost, and the burden. They're humble. Listen, when you're busy taking planks out of your own eye, you don't have any time to judge other people. (laughs) Come on. If you got time to judge other people, it's probably because you're not doing any work on your own planks. (laughs) See, because before you take planks out of your own eye, it's just easy to be a Pharisee. Let, Let me be more blunt. Before you have children, all of us are parenting Pharisees. Keep thinking about it. See, before you have kids, you know how you would raise them. And therefore, when I'm in the store, we were married six years before we had kids. I'm in a store and somebody else's kid's acting up. I'm like, give me that kid for an hour, I'll fix it. Because that ain't never happening with my kid. We're at a restaurant, a little date night. People bring the little rug rats in. <laughs> making all kinds of noise, consuming the restaurant, distracting everybody, stealing the piece of the restaurant. And food, I mean food everywhere, just thrown all over like it's your living, like it's your kitchen. Like what? I'm just, and I cast a little judgmental look at them like, what's wrong with you? Give me your kid for an hour, I'll clean that up. Why are you even here? Why don't you go home? Then I had children. (laughs) And there's nothing like having children to cure your condemnation of other people before you have them. I remember literally, literally, the day I'm said, we're going out. We're just going out. Took all the kids out to the restaurant. They're going nuts. I mean, they are boisterous. They're just, they're stealing the piece in the restaurant. Food's all over. I mean, it just looked like food fight everywhere on the floor. And I'm fine. I'm just eating. It's all good. <laughs> and I get this look from some kidless couple over there, this, 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 like, this like barbed look of judgment. And I didn't yell it, but literally what was on my lips, I mean, I said it. I hope they heard it, you know, in the intangible I wanted to just yell across the restaurant, if you want a meal with peace, go home. This is a public place. (laughs) See, once you take planks out of your own eye, you are sensitive to others. (laughs) But the church, church is not about arrival. And we don't settle below the bar and below God's blessing. He inspires us to aim higher. To aim higher and hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a blessed life. So bow your heads with me across the campuses. I want to ask, do you have an attitude of arrival in your faith? And where is God whispering aim higher in your marriage, as a parent, your character, your career, maybe your health? Or perhaps a little bit of the Pharisee is in your faith. And God is whispering, book another flight. You've not arrived. So Father, I ask that you would help us. Give us courage right now to be open to you. 
where is there an attitude of arrival? Maybe it hasn't dawned on us that we're doing that spiritually and it's why we don't show up and worship. It's why we don't do small group. And you're inviting us to aim higher in the very place that can grow us. Maybe we're doing that in our marriage and it's what's broke. Maybe it's in our career and that's why we're behind. Maybe it's in our character and you have such a blessed life ahead if we would just join you. Maybe it's in our health. God, I pray for a revolutionary wake-up call but that God, in that, we wouldn't become critical of one another, that this would be the safest place on earth, to be honest, and the most encouraging place to grow up. Do that in us and through us, I pray in Christ's name, and everyone agreed saying, amen. Amen.